That's getting yeah. very technical for me. But then you'd say, uh, in this, based on yesterday's election, where are those convertible 10%? Where are they sitting on the scale? Uh, the ideological ones are very um, ideological, right? right? They'd be extreme left or extreme okay. right or center right or center left. But here's the secret about pure independence yeah. is that they're most, they're, what makes them pure independent is that they have a sense of civic duty about voting, but they don't like politics. They don't pay attention much to politics. I mean, there's going to be some exceptions to that. Someone who's really well read and engaged, but predominantly, and you can see this in focus group research, especially Rich Thal's excellent stuff from 2020, mm -hmm. they don't know jack shit about politics and they're completely imagistic. So like in my research, I argue the pure independent vote can predictably be gassed or estimated to break against the party in power in these competitive elections. And I'm guessing like if I had a big data set and I could break it down, shift them out of that bigger pot of independence, they probably broke for Youngkin, you know, maybe 60, 40. Right. So such yeah. a small uh, margin there. Uh, Sherry, yeah. what's your response to that? Or any, any thoughts on that? Uh, well, look, it, when I first started working on the Hill in the mid 80s, it was pretty accepted that the most Americans are in the messy middle, like 80% were slightly right of center, slightly left of center, but centrist. And then came along conservative talk radio and then later Fox News. Mm. Uh, and that helped pull people to that fringe. And the left would respond in kind. And so I think you have more people who, in terms of the propaganda they ingest and what works on them, pulls them to those fringes. That said, when you have lower information voters, people who are not that engaged or who are not highly educated, these are the ones that don't pay attention. As, as Rachel just said, they aren't really watching politics. They don't care. They say they don't like it. They can be the most vulnerable to some of this messaging that we saw regarding CRT. They don't know that someone's just, you know, mind effed them into something that's very racist. They don't consider themselves to be racist. So mm. you've got the sophisticated racists that worked on these people and stoked the fear. And so they voted uh, their fears not because they are just born and bred racist and they've been racist all their life. They don't think of themselves that way. I mean, my God, they voted for a black lieutenant governor. You know, they right. so they think they're, yeah, we're cool on this. So they don't know that someone just messed with their minds. And that's something that media now that's becoming so diverse and people are consuming all kinds of media. But there is a certain part of the electorate that, I mean, you know, Last year when I was doing America Reads the Mueller Report, we were kind of going after those voters. Maybe we're a little bit older. They weren't online. They weren't on Twitter. They watch only Fox News. They only were told by Bill Barr that Mueller exonerated Trump. And so they believed it, not because, by God, we're going to support him no matter what. They just hadn't received the other information, the accurate information. And so we were reaching them with local TV because they do watch local TV. They were older, not on Twitter. They might be on Facebook. I mean, you know, we, we went through this. These were so we were bracketing you know, early morning farm reports and news and football and, and Wendy Williams and, you know, the talk, the daytime talk shows to reach those women in that demographic that we were just discussing a minute ago. And that's when you play in the margins and you can't beat them over the head with the negative advertising either. Uh, that works on the base. That gets people to open their wallets and say, yeah, we got to fight. We got to fight. Well, that's, that doesn't work on this group of people. Um, and so in terms yeah. of people being in the center, yeah, I think most people consider themselves or probably in most ways are sort of centrist, right. but they are, are they left of center or right of center to the extremes. I mean, I think last um, night told us they were a little I, bit more right than we realized. 
in my opinion, is that generally speaking, uh, America might be a little more right than we realize. Possibly, but you know, I, I think because of Trumpism, if he was actually held accountable and people would really be reviewing all the crimes, most people can't even keep track of everything that he should be investigated for mm. in the crimes. Uh, right. You know, most people forget the crimes that Bannon committed and that he was pardoned right. by Trump. Most of the Bannon fans don't even really know that. So I think if you start focusing on the crimes and the personalities involved, once these people see these personalities and change on those personalities, they start feeling differently and then they might be more willing to listen to Democrats on some things. They might be looking at Nancy Pelosi, who, you know, today is saying she's putting, you know, family leave back back into the play here. Uh, and that might work on some of these, you know, high school educated white women voters. Uh, so you might have to slice and dice like that and build these coalitions. I don't think it's done because those voters didn't yesterday say, I am a right wing Republican and this is how I'm right. going to vote, as, right. as Rachel just explained. You know, you start messing with their minds and pulling them. So let me give you $100 million, Rachel, and say you've got this money. What would you do to spend it into next? Wait, where's uh, mine? <laughs> you'll get yours in a bit. I want to see how Rachel spends it first, and then we'll come back to yours. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> or you can spend it together if you want. But there's $100 I mean, that's, million. That's, that's borderline actually like what I need to do what I want to do. Right, right? Okay, here we are. Here we are fundraising. The autopsy that needs to happen on the left doesn't involve polling voters anymore, right? right. And uh, what we need to do is we need to open up the books and look and see what are these people doing in terms of their electioneering system from mm -hmm. top to bottom. You know, how are these resources getting allocated? What kind of campaigns are they running? What kind of ad buys are they doing? How much is going here, there, and everywhere? What type of messaging are they using? Why are they running these direct mail, like, you know, like honestly, like dialed in recycled yeah. messaging from 1980? Like wh how much is going to survey research? Why? Why is so much going to survey research? Why is the party so convinced that they need polls to measure competition mm. when the polls constantly let them down? When I kind of told them without any, sir, I told them exactly where, which of these House delegates races, and this is all on record. I mean, it's not in the public record because these were private conversations, but these people know who they are and they all know I pointed exactly to the right districts and told them exactly how they would all get lost and exactly why they would all lose them. So like, why are we wasting all this money? And then I would take that $100 million and I would build a system like SpaceX. I mean, NASA and SpaceX both go to space, but as we all know, SpaceX is going there in a far more efficient, less bureaucratic manner. And the fact of the is, it's not Jamie Harrison's fault that Virginia got lost. He runs a bureaucracy. You can keep chugging talent into the DNC. Mm. I don't give a shit if it's Stacey Abrams or Jesus himself, okay? At the end of the day, the DNC's problem is bureaucracy and mm. this consulting class that has right. this financial incentive not to change and ultimately until we rip it apart and figure out how do we design a system that is conducive to hyperpolarization and to the modern electorate understands which voters are moving in which way and how to tap into that and is geared towards branding and not this like dichotomy between mo mobilization and persuasion and should we talk about defund the police well no dude you shouldn't but you should also probably let the country know that the other party just tried to have a coup and is intent on <laughs> dismantling <laughs> democracy yeah. right like, so, you know? good to know so <laughs> that's what i would do and then you know what i would do is i would build a yeah. wall in the critical places so you know uh florida florida's a winnable race if mm. we go after the cuban vote 
We cannot right. win statewide in Florida, period. I don't care if it's Val Dennings, again, or Jesus himself, <laughs> unless we figure out how to get the city of Miami up into the 80s on Democratic vote share, right. because right now it's popping in the 60s. And you're right. never going to win unless you can figure that out. That's a generational divide opening. You have to have hot candidates and those CDs down there running and picking off young Cuban voters. And if you don't have a campaign that's focused extensively building Latino infrastructure that is incorporated from day one and running year round, like the GOP is doing right now and has been doing for three mm. years while we're sitting here sleeping, then we're screwed. So that's what I'd be using my hundred million to do. You know, Richard O'Heat, I don't know if you know the guy, he's a He's from West Virginia, but his point is, why are we spending $250 million fighting uh, you know, Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, where he's backing all these marginal, not marginal, like good candidates in, in swingy districts around the country that he thinks are winnable, but he's getting no support from the DNC itself. He's running his own pack and he's got his own world out there. And it seems to me like that's a pretty good argument, especially if you've got another 40 seats that are now going to be on the bubble. In addition to the ones that already have been on the bubble, why aren't we diving into those districts and making those districts more winnable? We seem to be giving those up. Yeah, I mean, we need infrastructure investment, but at the end of the day, as long as we're sending our candidates out, uh, you know, either to do the embarrassed Democrat, you know, I'm a fiscal conservative two-step shuffle, mm -hmm. or, you know, um, and not attack. I mean, uh, honestly, the other party is going to run a disqualification campaign against mm -hmm. any one of our candidates, and it doesn't matter how moderate or woke they are personally, right? It could be mm -hmm. J.B. Harrison in South Carolina, who definitely did not run on defunding the police and installing socialism, but was brand that way anyway right so like ultimately we need people on the ticket who understand you have to lean into being a liberal you have mm. to lean into being a democrat you have to build that brand and redefine it in a positive frame and while you're doing that you have to disqualify the republican party who sherry cover your ears has made it very easy for us to do your economic agenda that we could call you know a gop contract on america not for <laughs> america that has decimated the american middle class decimated our infrastructure left us you know a world leader in k through 12 as like the world's laughing stock right it should be easy to go should out be. there and indict this party and then that's not even getting to the part where it's basically the party of i'm with stupid right mm -hmm. i mean like who wants to be on a party of crazy stupid wingnuts right. right now um i'm i'm pretty familiar with the state of west virginia i went to college there i own a little property there mm -hmm. for a little over a decade and i in part grew up just a few miles from the state line west virginia is different and there's a reason why Manchin gets away with a lot of this. I would go in and just blanket West Virginia with radio, not slamming Manchin, but selling the key points of the Democratic agenda. And then maybe follow up noting that Manchin wasn't doing it. Now, West Virginia is a poor state. It's not that sophisticated. You're not going to find as many people you know, online as you would in other places, radio works. In some places in West Virginia, you can't even get internet. You can't even get cell phone. The mountains uh, plus other installations. Richard Ojeda says uh, the kids works. from school, they radio go to the, they works. go to McDonald's to get the Wi-Fi so they can do their homework. That's how, you know, that's, but that tells you exactly well, how poor they are and how valuable broadband would be to them. But they don't even, you know, they're not even thinking about that, but that's yeah, just a, but I would go there and so that people are aware of what Manchin is doing because they're mm -hmm. really not. I mean, that's to talk about a state that votes against their interests mm -hmm. and the Manchin name is gold there. There was a James Manchin before that. I mean, it's just, you just vote for Manchin no matter now, He's what. a Democrat, by the way, you know uh, that. And so, 
So as much as he's a Democrat, but he's had one. He's had one, but he's he's technically not calling to get away with it. Yeah, no, he's not. <laughs> I mean, he's he's our biggest problem right now. Well, he, Manchin's my favorite kind of Democrat. He's the one that holds a seat. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, exactly. But I would, but I would get rid of this um, consultant culture where um, they take care of their friends. It's not done on merit. They pocket a lot of money. You know, it, it's largely male, uh, and they they take care of their buddies. And so when you have a lot of when you have an all white male group sitting at a table making these decisions, we shouldn't be surprised when they get it wrong and you go into a state like Virginia and, you know, guess what, white women, <laughs> your certain groups of white women go the opposite way. And as a woman who spent many years as a Republican operative amongst the white male Republican operatives, I know a little bit about this. And uh, it was a challenge for Republicans. There were certain points of time Republicans could have done a little bit better than they did. You know, but so you have to, I hate the word diversity, but it's just common sense. So if it's a group where they only throw in women here and there because they feel like they have to, if it's not really who you are, you're going to get it wrong. Uh, And that's the same with any group of people when you've got this like minded people sitting around the table thinking they've got this and thinking they only have to say something once so that they don't have to drill down and reach people and take this. So I would take that hundred million dollars, you know, for the groups that Rachel was just talking about in Florida, you know, the young Cubans, you find out where they get their information or where they potentially can get their information and go there. And, you know, I don't think that that's happening enough. Uh, Just like, you know, you see people showing ads on Twitter that aren't really being gone anywhere else. And I asked that question a lot of Lincoln Project. I saw early on, I'd never seen news reports covering any kind of expenditure for a super PAC without saying where it's running and what's the buy. And I, so I saw early on that we had a problem here. And I had a feeling and I was right about what was going on. And so, you know, it's the consultant culture and people getting very rich and pocketing a lot of money that people are donating, thinking they're donating, say, in this case, to elect Democrats, to help Democrats, to build a Democratic House cushion, you know, to gain seats in a year when they were supposed to gain seats, to build a cushion against the expected midterm losses. And instead, the, I think, was a, lost a net 10 uh, and so when you're not saying how much the buy is, when you're showing the ads and no one is following up saying, where is it running? How are you reaching persuadable voters? And also when you're, at least in a campaign, I know Rachel said she doesn't like doing the, the surveys or whatever, but they're useful to know kind of messaging if it, something is going to work before you spend all that money on an ad. Are you just making yourself feel good? Reaching, is a base going to feel good? Because you're fighting back and you're, you know, you're tough. So, you know, the big swig and dick club, they all love that. Excuse my French. But, you know, that's what happens. Um, does that work on persuadable voters? No. Persuadable voters, sometimes you need a little bit of a, I don't want to say a softer touch, but you don't want to alienate them either. Right. Now, those might not be the ads that win the Polly Awards. Uh, but who cares? But, um, win some votes. You know, that's, yeah, yeah. And so Rachel, to, you, you have to have grownups at the table who understand that. Uh, and understand that there's different steps to this before people just go, you know, firing out of the box. You both described that there's a consultant class, all these rich people who are doing things in these parties. Um, how do you actually get rid of them? Uh, well, most people are afraid to call them out. I mean, you would be surprised the private messages I get for being so openly calling them out. But I've been dealing with this for a year. I mean, I remember as a Republican, Kellyanne Conway railing at certain meetings about the consult, meaning the male, the white male uh, consultant kickback mm. culture. 
Um, and I don't know if it was because she wasn't part of it or that maybe she was oh, running she was. into it and was in interfering with what she was trying to achieve because she was doing a lot of polling on, you know, women's issues and whatnot. I think it's a big problem. And the only way you stop it is when the candidates who ultimately are the ones that decide to do the hiring or the party leaders, you know, Chuck Schumer gave the Lincoln Project money. I mean, instead of Democrats doing it. So I do know a lot of Democratic consultants that were frustrated that the money was being hoovered up by this group that was getting so much press. And so how do you find the talent out there? Um, look at track. It's more about how do you get rid of them? Um, how do you get rid of the other, other people that are there? Rachel, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, here's the thing. Like, we're really talking about two different worlds within mm. these two parties. The, like, that's part of the problem for Democrats. I mean, not in this vein, but the fact is the electioneering world for Republican and Democratic parties is as different as their coalitions, their ideologies, their behaviors, their demographic makeups. So, like, what Sherry is describing to some extent about the grifting culture is less a factor. Let me promise you, there's many starving people on the left okay right. but where the left is really their big problem is the status quo right there's this model that worked for bill clinton in 1992 mm -hmm. because the electorate's always in process so like when we talk about realignment and dealignment and party sorting and all these coalitional changes we should know nothing static i've been studying world history a lot as democracy is declining in the u.s and <laughs> things are always moving okay nice. but in the 1990s when we came out of Reaganomics, the Democratic Party was coming out of a period that's very much like the Republican Party right now, played by craziness through the 60s and 70s as social change erupted. You also had the Vietnam War, you had the SLA, the Weather Underground blowing shit up. I mean, it was crazy, right? Mm. And they ended up in the national woods for a while. Inflation, Reaganomics gets invented. Hey, we lower taxes, we'll fix inflation, and it worked, but it also caused all these other problems, right? So, like, when we think about how things have changed the republican party carl rove especially saw the potential for basically wedge issue politics he mm. took a concept invented in like um the nine like one of the early presidential elections 88 i think and said look let's make referendum politics right but let's make referendums not about people the way it was originally invented and instead make it about issues mm -hmm. and they took gay marriage and that worked and the media system was evolving at the same time on the right and these things combined for them to kind of innovate this thing that both fed and articulates well hyperpolarization and partisanship mm -hmm. the democratic party does not have an electioneering system designed for that electorate it has a system for a lot of persuadable voters. When Sherry was at the peak of her time at the RNC, there was a bigger pool, as she noted, of those independents before those media effects, you know, radicalized them. And so we, like the thing I'm fighting in the consultant class, I think, is this bias towards the status quo and this fear of trying something new. I would just say though, it is clear that the modus operandi of is not working. Yeah, right. the, the FEC yesterday uh, announced that the, you know foreign governments, foreign money will be able to be funding referendums going yeah. forward, which is astounding and ridiculous, but also Crazy. you know terrifying because didn't we just go through this in 2016? Yeah. FEC is still apparently majority controlled by Republicans on that uh, on that board. So these kind of things are going to be more and more present. I mean, this is certainly you can see them running issue type campaigns or referendum campaigns based on LGBTQ and on other of these wedge issues that you describe. 
you know, is there enough money in the United States to even combat a, a global force of influencers as pouring billions of dollars into America? I know. Tough one. Oh. Would expect yeah, that's, that's what it's worth proposing. That's, that's frightening, actually, yeah. because all you need to do is find people who only care about money and don't really have an ideology and they don't yeah. care about the country. I and mean, we see this all the time. But now you're talking about massive amounts of money, mm-hmm. uh, amounts that we can barely, most consultants can barely get their heads around and yeah. some can't wait to get their hands on All it, the money you know? in the world, really. And, um, yeah, and that's what will happen. I mean, we saw a little bit of that you know, with Paul Manafort. You, know, you see what mm-hmm. happens when someone really doesn't give a shit about their country and what they're willing to do. And now he's out running around free. You know, I just want to add this one thing. I think people think this sounds like hyperbole. And I think in the era of Trump, which we're still in, let's face it, and could be again, they think everything sounds so crazy and so out there and that it's tinfoil hat stuff until it happens. Mm-hmm. You've got Matt Gates and others out there talking about, okay, when Republicans win the House next year, we're going to make Donald Trump, the Speaker of the House, because you don't have to be an elected member of Congress right. to be elected Speaker. You just need to get people say, oh, and then they'll they'll impeach, you know, Biden and Harris and people. Oh, but they won't have the votes in the Senate. That's not the danger. The real danger is Trump will be second in line to the presidency. And you saw the violence at the insurrection. I mean, I think that this could happen. And I think that Biden and Harris's lives become in danger then because that would be how Trump gets back into the White House. I'm saying it out loud. I'm kind of afraid to say this stuff on Twitter because I want them to ban me. But this is basically, you you don't think that Steve Bannon wouldn't be, you know, Flynn out there pumping this up. I mean, they built gallows on the Capitol grounds. They were going to kill Mike Pence that day. They were going to hang him. They were going to try to kill Nancy Pelosi. This is session. (laughs) The entire uh, line of secession, you know, Pompeo would be next in line. He was conveniently you know, out of the country. There was a big plan in place there. And if anybody thinks that this just sounds like pie in the sky, tinfoil hat crap, well, I got news for you. Just look at what they've done so far. And if that puts Trump in a position where he probably would have to be put back on Twitter or he'd have the microphone again anyway, he would do it. People say, well, he would hate to do the job of speaker. Well, he's not going to do the job of speaker. He'll farm that out like he didn't like being president. He didn't do the job. So I, I think there's a real danger that in fact could happen. And you say, and well, Jerry, you're going to have these sane, sane Republicans that'll get in his way. No, they won't. They'll do it. They'll do what they're told. And Sherry, I'm, I plan on closing October with those ads, like the ads that show people him getting sworn in with mm. that gavel and what it would mean to mm. them. <laughs> and put those gallows out. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Hell yeah, Good. dude. Uh, That's yeah, exactly what people mad. need. They need How to be able to visualize. In Virginia Look, right is- now, like terrified, mm. right? They, what if we had painted a Yunkin, a reality of a Republican governor in these crazy times for those Virginia voters before they had to wake up in that reality? Maybe they would have behaved differently. So. I like what you're saying. Well, this, this is exactly is what needs to happen for next about. Year. Yeah, the ad that Rachel's talking about, by the way, that would instill fear, but fear on something that really could happen. The fear mm. that was instilled uh, in Virginia right. voters, in the lesser educated white women voters of Virginia yesterday was based on something false. It wasn't right. real. Showing what Trump could do and what his allies in the House would do. Who would stand up to him? Has there ever been anybody who would stand up to say, no, we're not going to vote for him for speaker? There isn't anybody who will do that. Right. Look at all the times over the past, you know, five, six years, even during the primary, where we thought somebody would stand up to this monster and they didn't because he was ratings right. gold. Kevin McCarthy, and they wanted- are you listening to Sherry? Because you're never going to be speaker, buddy. It's not happening. <laughs> he doesn't care. He'll roll over and, and he just wants the it. money. I mean, this is a real 
fear and mm -hmm. it, it needs to be and if that's what it takes to coalesce and find you know i remember before i talked about having a few things that are easy to understand to define trump and, and trumpism and therefore all republicans by because there's so much out there you yeah, have to zero in on her. some of it that that's would be exactly it i can't wait i can't wait for rachel's ad you know what i think one. this is so important I, both I can't wait till i have a big ass budget because i'm going to send you on a rural america tour of <laughs> there you go. what has 30 years of republican voting done for you <laughs> Nothing. Wait, to, to be fair, I worked for Bob Michael, who was very much a moderate because I'm from Peoria. You know, my dad always said, you know, we're Bob Michael Howard Baker Republicans. My dad is now glued to Fox News half the time. You know, it's, a, it's all changed. So you, if you go back to those types of Republicans and remind them that that's who they were and they can work with Democrats and that the party is no longer that, you have to remind them who they yes. are because they sound more like conservative Democrats at this point, people who could vote for Joe Biden, which is probably why Joe you Biden disqualify um, got the GOP. Democratic nomination. You gotta disqualify them, always disqualify it's not the party that I, you know, when I started working on Capitol Hill in 1984, there were these kind of right wing religious fringy people that were kind of weird, but they were so, they, they, and I thought, why are they around? They were kind of part of a coalition. This is something that slowly built. This was not the party mm. then. It just, you know, not the ones in, in Congress. I think there was some, there were pockets of people around Reagan that certainly helped him get elected, but working in Congress at the time, you just didn't see this. But you know, uh, Youngkin it, is a nicer a friendlier version of Trump, you know, for, for all intents and purposes. He, he, we don't know his policies yet, but I suspect they'll be more palatable in some ways. But overall, you know, the GOP represents a retreat of democracy. We're falling into this fascism. Yeah. I talk about my growing up in South Africa here a lot on the show because I don't think people realize how awful it is growing up in fascism, how absolutely it permeates every aspect of your life. And you do not have freedom in everything, which means you have fear about everything, absolutely everything you do, no matter what it is, what your thoughts are, who you're with, what they're doing, what they're saying, who your friends are, what your neighbors are saying. It's absolutely terrifying, not to mention you're the pariah of the world. I mean, this is the kind of future that Americans are voting themselves into. Well, some uh, of us have already experienced that. You remember, mm. I was hacked. I was catfished. Yeah. I was hacked. And this is after I first you know, told the truth about Trump by merely mm. publicly confirming an already yeah. published report they had a super PAC when he and Lewandowski, this was six years ago, October. And he and, and they lied that the Washington Post did a report. They lied. They were going to sue the Post. And I came forward and said, Lewandowski told me all about it. You know, I, I met with That's, these guys. And yeah. to the point where I was like, why are they talking so openly about the Super PAC? I was like, did somebody, did the laws change? You know, it was so weird. And so just by coming forward and confirming that the Washington Post report was correct. I was not the source for it, by the way, and I know who was now. That's when I they ordered me, Trump ordered Ailes to ban me, and then later Jeff Zucker to ban me. Uh, this was power he had in a primary. That's, you know, pretty chilling stuff. And then, I, like I said, then I was catfished, the, somebody pretending that they were looking to hire me because some big Republican donors wanted to, you know, make sure Trump didn't get the nomination. And that was just, they, they were doing that to get information to use against me, I guess, you know, you know in the lawsuit. It, 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 and then I was hacked. My email was hacked. And, and this is what um, democracy is going to look like. Yes, this is what I experienced at a time when it just sounded crazy for me to talk about it. Yeah. And so it sounded so crazy. <laughs> and now everybody realizes, oh, yeah, this is what Trump does. So, yeah. you know, I do know what it feels like. And I was alone in it. So mm. at least this way. I, mean, I know you I went through absolute hell the there. Country.
Uh, Rachel, what's yeah. your dog's name again? I forget. This is Hamilton. Hamilton, of course. Hamilton. Hi, Hamilton. <laughs> what does Hamilton think? Does he have any thoughts about how to win back everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. Hammy said, send mommy $170 million. Uh, yeah, I only had $100 million, but I'll give you I'll give you $175 because <laughs> you've been so great tonight. Uh, Rachel, tell everyone how they can find you on, on wherever you want them to find you and how they can find your pack, and uh, maybe they'll send you some money. Sure. So my Twitter handle is at Rachel Bittacoffer. Please follow me also at Strike Pack. Uh, that's S-T-R-I-K-E-P-A-C. Please follow that. Check through our ads that were in our launch packet. Basically, we're at startup mode here. Did some nice field testing in Virginia, but I wanted to build a blue wall. Couldn't build it. Help us build it for 22. We sure need one. So everyone check out Rachel's uh, Twitter feed and her pack. And Sherry, we're so excited you're back. I'm so thrilled you're here. And on narrative. Yeah, I've taken a long break. I stopped doing my podcast and stopped doing a number of things. Uh, something just ran by her. <laughs> Another dog, I think. Uh, so, <laughs> He's still uh, yeah, too, uh, too. Twitter <laughs> handle is uh, at Sherry Jacobus, C-H-E-R-I-J-A-C-O-B-U-S. Uh, I do have a website. I haven't updated it for a while, but it's uh, SherryJacobus.com. So, and awesome. I'll hopefully have other things coming up soon that I can announce as soon as we get past it. You know, still dealing with the health challenges, but so far uh, the doctors are like, yeah, we can't find cancer. So hopefully we keep well, it that, that way. that is good news. <laughs> Um, yeah. I can't wait to have you guys back on the show. You're both terrific together and hopefully we'll do it again because it's a really interesting insight and you certainly sparked some interesting ideas for me and I'm sure the audience will have you back hopefully in the near future on Narrative. Thank you both for being here tonight. Thanks. All right. Thank you and thank so you, much. Thank you. And thank you guys. Yeah, likewise. Have a good night. Bye. And thank you at home for watching. We'll see you again on Friday. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.